Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. Five virgins went to heaven. Five virgins went to hell. All ten washed their sins away and received eternal life in the water of holy baptism that clothed them in Christ and made them pure. All ten heard and learned the promise of the gospel and in our day would have been confirmed. All ten belonged to a good and respectable church. All ten knew how a Christian should behave and look. They are all depicted as pure virgins, but only five of them believed the gospel. The other five did not. Those who believed the gospel went into the eternal wedding feast. Those who did not believe were sent away forever. Last week, with the parable of the sheep and the goats, we learned how God distinguishes those who believe from those who don't believe by how they treated and served Christ's Christians here on earth. I was hungry and you did not feed me. Those who did not show love to Christ's brothers did not show love to Christ, and they're judged accordingly. This pertains to the second table of the law, love your neighbor as yourself. Of all neighbors most worthy of our service and of the greatest concern, personal concern, as we considered last week, to our Lord, it is those who are of the household of faith. Those who worship with us, confess with us, preach to us, Correct us when no one else will, and care for our souls in the stead and by the command of our Savior Jesus Christ. It is those who receive with us the forgiveness of sins, our brothers and sisters who believe in Jesus, whom Jesus calls his brethren. It is especially those who suffer for the sake of the gospel which they preach. These especially, following the train of the apostles, are the least of Christ's brethren. God distinguishes his sheep from the goats by what they do and by what they leave undone towards the least of his brothers. This week, however, with the parable of the ten virgins, we learn how God distinguishes those who believe from those who don't believe in a different way. But of course, they're related rather than how they treat one another. It is by how they treated the word of God itself. So if last week was how they treated the preachers, this week is how they treated what was preached. Those who did not gladly hear and learn God's word did not love Christ. This pertains to the first table of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and When Jesus recounts in Luke chapter 10 the first and great commandment he himself adds in order to fill in what is lacking in the Greek translation of the Hebrew and with all your mind, and this is key, with all your mind, God alone is God. He who made us and who provides us all that we have is the only God there is. He gives us our body and soul, our strength and mind and all things. It is he alone who rescues us from sin, death, and hell, because it is he alone who took on human flesh and blood in order to atone for our sins. 
He alone is worthy of our thanksgiving, praise, and devotion. He alone is worthy of our thoughts. In fact, we truly think of one another only in as much as we think about God. We cannot love our neighbor as ourselves unless we love God above all things. Everything else is nothing but the false appearance of a virgin in waiting. And so, God tells us to render all these things that he gives to us, to render it all to his glory. And how? By hearing his word and keeping it. That's how. That is, by being on the receiving end of his undeserved mercy and kindness. God distinguishes the wise virgins from the foolish virgins by whether or not they care enough about his saving grace to be mindful of where their salvation is found. In fact, this is a better translation of the word used for wise. The word for wisdom is Sophia. Christ is our wisdom. But the word here is not some static quality in these five virgins. Rather, the word here used is better translated as thoughtful, maybe prudent. But it means they think about, they think about what is taught them. This is what it means to have oil for your lamp. Not to arise at some quality of Sophia, wisdom, but to be mindful of it, to desire it. And as we see, it is to recognize a certain lack to your thoughts. To be wise as these five virgins is to mean, is to hold God's word sacred and gladly hear and learn it, and to think about what it teaches you. Now, obviously, God sees the inmost heart. God sees the faith which he himself created. God doesn't need to look at our works in order to see whether or not we really believe the gospel. Don't worry. There's going to be no changing of the standards on judgment day. You don't have to be afraid of a poor resume when you acknowledge in your own heart what you lack and how you have not loved your neighbor let alone Christ's brothers. Do not be afraid that the standards will change. God sees your heart, but he sees it now. And that's the point. And God doesn't need to examine how often you were in church or with how much gusto you sang the hymns or for that matter, how you listened to the preaching and learned your catechism in order to see whether or not you treasured the gospel. He reads hearts, remember. Going to church is not a good work that impresses God or earns his approval. It is only a good work inasmuch as God desires to work in you what you are not able to work in yourselves. And he does so solely and exclusively through the word which he commands to be preached to you, and the sacraments upon which you depend. Without the word and sacraments, you have no Holy Spirit, and you have no faith, and your lamp is empty and dry, and darkness surrounds you, and you have nothing really worth thinking about. But with his word and sacrament, through the forgiveness of sins and the preaching of Christ to you, you have the Holy Spirit who proceeds from a reconciled Father by the blood of his Son. And with the faith he works in your heart, he also enables you to glorify the Father and the Son together with the Holy Ghost, who enlightens your mind 
and fills you with the oil of gladness. Jesus cares about the faith he works in your heart because he cares about you. He cares about your neighbor and his brethren because he cares about you, his children. He sees your heart and yet it is a kindness that he teaches us how he will judge by external appearances. And this is for you, for your sake, so that you might also learn to judge yourself right now. As St. Paul writes, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Oh, what a horrible thing. To be disqualified in the end. To take heart and embrace the gospel requires that we examine our hearts and recall what we need from the gospel. It requires a certain and blessed thoughtfulness. For there is no quality in me or you that can save us. Jesus is our quality. Faith clings to him. The only quality of faith is what faith receives, what Jesus gives. So take it to heart. What he gives means that we are to think about it. How much oil do you have? Do you know where to find it? Do you care? Are you satisfied with your appearance as a pure virgin, looking no different from the others around you who wait for the bridegroom to come? Nobody here can say otherwise. Are you satisfied with that judgment? Do you look and behave just as much like a Christian as the person next to you or the person preaching to you? And is that enough to you? Is it enough that you belong to this church? Is it enough that your doctrine is correct or so they say? Is it enough that you have lamps with wicks? So thought the five foolish virgins. They did not take heart. They were pretty and so were their lamps, but they did not test themselves. They had no oil because the gospel was not worth their time and attention until it was. But then it was too late. Jesus warns us. This is not a warning about who might be among us who doesn't really believe. Jesus doesn't tell parables like that in order to raise suspicion in one another. No, he's always talking to you. He's warning you and teaching you to be suspicious of your own flesh that you think you have under control, your own thoughts, which you can't control. He is warning you who do believe the gospel. You know that you have Jesus. You know he is your savior. You know that what you have been taught to believe is the truth. You know that it's important to go to church and to pray and to do works of love toward one another. You know it. And so it is precisely to you that Jesus is speaking when he says, watch. For you do not know the day nor the hour. Jesus tells us to stay awake. And he said to his disciples in Gethsemane, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he would know. He was tempted. He was sweating drops of blood in prayer, feeling even in his holy flesh the weakness of the body 
which he assumed. And he was sinless. He knows our weakness. He knows our thoughts. Now, no one really likes to be warned like this. Maybe by someone who's sinless, I suppose, but it feels kind of judgy for somebody to warn you against something that you're doing or saying. And people get offended as though you're imposing yourself. But, as St. Paul writes, he who is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. If you do not want to be judged, then judge yourself. As it is written soon after that in 1 Corinthians, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. In other words, don't get so sensitive about who's judging you. If the shoe fits, wear it. And think about what God says to you. And ask yourself, am I still in the flesh? Do you not still have the same weakness that is common to all of us? Do you not still live with the same weakness that you were born with, that you struggled with in your youth, and that you have been promised by God will never leave you until kingdom come, until the day which we consider in our text this morning? Yes, you do. And so did all ten virgins have this weakness. Every one of them struggled with the alluring distractions of the world, just like us. Every one of them enjoyed light-hearted conversation and activities that took their focus off of that for which they were waiting. Every single one of them was to remain awake, and every single one of them fell asleep. Even the children of light. Now we can praise these five wise virgins these five thoughtful virgins. We can turn them into a great example to follow, but that's not really what the parable is about, making them an example of great virtue, as though they had some saintly quality that you and I lack. No, it's not because they found a way not to be tempted that they were ready. It's not because they learned to judge themselves until they found nothing left worth judging. They were sinners, They were spiritually drowsy, just like the five foolish virgins who waited with them. One thing set them apart. They brought extra oil. That's it. Why? Because they had examined themselves. Not because they were better than the others, but because they saw in themselves that they were the same. They had judged themselves and tested themselves, and they had discovered how weak they were, and so must you. They did not turn their nose at one another as they warned each other and urged each other to remain mindful of of the bridegroom's advent. They didn't act like it was a violation of their privacy when they were asked where they'd been for the last few weeks, or what they're up to, or who they're dating, or whatever. They didn't guard themselves against any criticism, especially not from brothers of Christ, especially criticism that taught them to be more thoughtful, No, rather they received it all from one another because each one had judged herself and each knew the common weakness of their common flesh. And so must you. They were not too proud to be admonished by fellow sinners to hear the word of God and pay attention because they knew how weak their own faith was. They knew how easily their lamps ran dry as they sought to contend with the darkness. 
And so they took to heart the warnings that they received and they brought extra oil. They knew where to buy it. It was the same place that God had told them. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk and I suppose oil without money and without price. Do you lack the works and devotion you'd like to see in yourself? Do you experience contrary feelings in yourself that challenge the gospel you have heard? Do you find yourself being so distracted from your faith that you are unable to begin at any moment to speak out loud the good news of Jesus to whoever might be listening? Do you lack the courage? Do you lack the knowledge? Well, then on one hand, you must concede your weakness. On the other hand, you have already begun to judge yourself rightly. You find yourself in the company of virgins who doze off when they should be watching and praying. You are not so unique. Examine yourself. Your distractions and wandering thoughts are an opportunity for you to repent and return to the mercy of Christ. That's why we're all here. Because it's hard for all of us to stay awake. You are not so unique. But do you have oil? Is Jesus Christ in you? Or are you disqualified? Then consider him who was not disqualified. Consider him who was pleased to come as our substitute. Him who pleased his Father above all things. Who was born of a pure virgin to become our Savior to fulfill the law in your place, to keep perfect watch, to suffer and die and atone for all your sins. Yes, he was born of a pure virgin. Yet his virgin mother's own picture of perfect purity was found nowhere else than in the faith that God gave her. Faith in him who was made flesh in her own womb. Her lamp, so to speak, was filled while she carried him for nine months. Every kick in her belly was the kick and movement of God himself, even as her spirit rejoiced in God her Savior. But once she gave birth, how did she fill her lamp? Once the experience of God in her was no longer felt as it once was, how did she keep her faith aglow? For this experience of God's movement in your own heart might wane as well. How did she return to that which once gave her such joy and hope? By hearing and keeping the word of her son, the word of God's son. As Jesus said, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother, my brother and sister, and my mother. The will of our God is for us to be saved. That's the will of our father, for us to repent and believe that for Jesus' sake all our sins are freely forgiven. It is our father's will that we be constantly mindful of this. And when we doze off, that we return to where the gospel is preached and the body and blood of Christ are given as food and drink with no cost. All ten virgins were depicted as virgins. All ten had received Christ in their hearts by faith at one point, but five of them lost that faith. Not because they failed to hold constant vigil, but because they lost interest in where the mercy of God was found for them. They took for granted that they were Christians until they weren't anymore. They stopped going to church, or they stopped paying attention to the hymns that were sung, 
or they stopped exerting their minds to follow the sermon that was preached to them. They stopped judging themselves, and so they stopped judging the worldly dangers around them. They had their faith. Oh, they had their Jesus, and no one was going to tell them they didn't. Until Jesus did. When the hour came and they trimmed their wicks, their hearts were filled with fear. They had fooled themselves. That's what fools do. But we are not fools. And the opposite of foolishness is not some great wisdom that you must attain to. Now the opposite of foolishness is your thoughtfulness. Your dependence on Christ who loves you. And so in him we are wise. We are children of the day. We know where to find the oil that keeps our faith aglow. It is the oil of gladness, as the scriptures say of Christ our Savior, that God anointed him with the oil of gladness more than any of his companions. And why? Because he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. That's what Psalm 45 says. He is anointed more because he trusted more. He who sweat blood in the garden while you slept, well, while you slept, he kept watch until he commended his spirit to God on the cross. And so keeping his focus and earning your salvation, he remains alert and determined to wrestle for you and with you as you struggle to hold on to your salvation. He who shall come in glory like a thief in the night, totally unexpected, comes in mercy here and in this hour where you can always expect him. And that's the point. He teaches you to hate wickedness and to love righteousness by teaching you to repent of your sin and love mercy. Where the gospel is preached, that is where the oil is kept in store. It is where the heart believes it since it determines who you are, defines who you are, teaches you who you are, and by teaching who Christ is, your righteousness, your purity, your hope, it gives you a certain future, empties your heart of all fear for the day to come, and gives you joy in your expectation of it. He fills your lamp with oil as surely as he filled Mary's womb. He warns you today because he loves you and desires your salvation forever and ever. He fills you today so that your joy may be full. And you may enjoy that eternal joy even now because your sins are forgiven. Think about this forevermore. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.